Which one would you like to get? This one? Oh, okay. You can stay up here. We'll, we'll use you. Um, as, I, as I reflect on, you know, my, uh, my communion meditations, I often think about um, what's our goal when we focus on communion meditation? And what's our goal when we, when we focus on uh, this communion that we take with, with God? Um, and a story came to my mind, and I think family always feeds into our expectation of what God and Jesus are like. Um, and I thought of this story about um, when, you, when you have to look at yourself and, and think about the things that you do and decide whether they can stay in your life or not. And it made me think about my, my grandpa. Uh, my grandpa is, was uh, a body man. He had a shop. And I remember he was getting older in, in years, and my brother bought a Ranchero, 1965 Ranchero, if you guys remember those cars. It had been hit in the back corner, and the quarter panel was just destroyed. And I remember as a younger kid thinking, uh, we could straighten that out. We're going to straighten that out. Grandpa's going to come over, and we're going to straighten that out. Because Grandpa could do anything with a, a body hammer and a dolly. And he came over, and... I remember kind of a disappointing moment when Grandpa looked at it and said, we can't straighten that out. That's not going to happen. We need to cut that off and buy a new quarter panel and put a new quarter panel on it, And which kind of started an adventure for us. We went to a salvage yard and found a station wagon and cut the quarter panel off and brought it home and put it on there. And, you know, after Grandpa showed us a few things that we could do to it to make it uh, all come together, you couldn't tell it had ever been fixed. And so my initial thought when I was thinking about communion meditation was sometimes we've got things in our lives that we need to take out, that you can't fix, that you need to get rid of. And then my idea changed. Um, anybody in here know who Mr. Rogers is? Yeah. And Mr. Rogers has kind of become a little more popular recently, and he's had a little bit of a resurgence in popularity, and I think par partially because we're missing a little bit of the compassion that Mr. Rogers uh, brought to our world. And there was a movie that came out recently, and there was a documentary about him before that that was really good. Um, and the quote, there's two quotes, and there's an exercise that I'd like to try with you guys. But the quote that I really like about uh, Mr. Rogers, his wife uh, was interviewed one time, and she said, uh, how does it feel to be married to a saint? And she said, I hate that term. He's not a saint because saint would mean it's unattainable to be like him. He works at it every day. And the thing that she, that she pinpointed in this interview was that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, prayed for people by name every day. He read the Bible every day. And he loved broken people. And so as, as I started to think about coming around the table, uh, this exercise that Mr. Rogers would do, and sometimes he would do it on the show, um, came to my mind. And it, it's a thought experiment, and you can leave your eyes open or closed. Closed sometimes is a little easier to imagine. But just for a moment, I'd like us to just focus. Just focus on, as Mr. Rogers would say it, the people who loved you into existence. I'd like you to think about the people in your life that made you 
who you are. If it's your parents, it's your parents. If it's your grandparents, if it was a neighbor. I'd like you to think about the people and moments that shaped who you are. I'd like you to think about, Mr. Rogers said that everyone has value. I want you to think about the people who knew without a shadow of a doubt that you had value, that you were worthy of love. I'd like you to think about the people that God put in your life and the incredible plan that God has for your life. I'd like you to think about how God can place things in motion and know the outcome and the reason far beyond our understanding. I'd like you to think about God putting his hand on your on the base of your neck and holding you. And I'd like you to think about Jesus eating this meal with you. And knowing that Jesus loves you and knows that you are worthy of love. I want to go away from this table and be refreshed and be built up in the family that God gives us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I I just come to you humbly and thank you for the love that you have shown each and every one of us in this room. I pray that we would be confident enough that we could share that love with those around us. I pray that we would focus on you in this time of, of a meal. I pray that we would be thankful for all of those people who shaped our existence, who loved us into being. I pray that we would go from this meal with a grateful heart for all of those things that we have been given, for all of those bumps and bruises that have shaped us into a better person each day. I pray that you would forgive us our sins. I pray that you would let us be strengthened by this meal. In your name we pray, amen. I will be reading Mark 8, 34 through 38. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And... And what do you believe if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns to the glory of his Father with holy angels. You may be seated, and kids, you're dismissed to Children's Church. Caroline, I loved that song you played during communion. If you didn't recognize it, it was Spirit of the Living God fall afresh on me. Mold me, make me, use me, move me, but fall on me. And I want us to pray that today. So would you join me as we pray for today's service? Holy Spirit, we know that you are the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We know that you are the power that lives in us. Would you open our hearts today? Would you bring us to a place where we can set aside whatever we came in with today? Some people came in with a fight on the way to church. Some people came in with kids just out of control as they came to church today. Some people came in with a heart that was burdened by a loss, by pain in family situations. God, would you help us to set those aside? And Holy Spirit, would you come in us? And would you fall on us in power? so that we are willing to do what you ask us to do. So that we are willing to be obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them this morning to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse 34 through 38. Uh, of course, she just read that, but we're going to back up a little bit, so you're going to want to follow along. If you don't have your Bible, grab your phone your iPad, whatever you, uh, whatever you read the Bible on, and open it up to that, and just kind of hold that and ready. So you'll notice um, <clears throat> in, the, in the bulletin, the little insert uh, that has a place for notes, if you like to do that, says that the price is not right. <clears throat> Does that ring a bell with anybody? Does that sound similar to something you might know? Well, <clears throat> I want us to look at uh, <clears throat> understanding a little bit what the cost of discipleship is today, but the reality is today we're going to have our own little game show, The Price is Right. And so <clears throat> I'm going to need some audience participation, so uh, I, I would just like, to, like you to uh, be invited. Um, <clears throat> Sherry, uh, would you please come, uh, and you're the first contestant on The Price is Right this morning, would you come, give her a hand as she comes forward? <clears throat> Tyler. Will you come? You're the next contestant on The Price is Right this morning. And, and Brent, would you come forward? You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. You guys can just stand down here. If you've ever seen the show, the people that are guessing the prices are all right down here. So we're going to do it just like them. i sorry I don't have any of this fancy electronic thing for you to write your score. You just tell it to me and I'll let you know. Our first item up for bids this morning is 
a Bowflex. It is a 2020 model Bowflex, not just any Bowflex. It is the Bowflex Extreme. If you are struggling with getting in shape, this right here will change your life forever. So I ask you, how much do you believe this Bowflex Extreme costs? No, 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 no. Not you out there. Only if I call you to come up do you get... Who was that? That was Jake. You're the next contestant, buddy. What do you say, Tyler? How much do you think you would have to pay for a Bowflex Extreme? 2000. Now, the rules of this game, you can't go over. So everybody knows, probably everybody knows the rules of this game. 2500 Okay. Brent, what do you say is the price of the Bowflex Extreme? Thank you for playing. (laughs) Sherry, what do you say this $1,800? Well, I have to tell you that you've all gone over. So we're going to bid again and know that $5,400 is way too much. (laughs) Tyler, what do you say? Knowing that everyone has gone over, what would you say now is the cost of this Bowflex Extreme? A thousand? Okay. What do you say? Very good. What do you say, Sherry? One dollar. <laughs> Tyler wins because the cost was fourteen ninety nine. Now normally you win the prize that's up there, but I couldn't afford that. So what I've got is a little exercise thing that you can take home. Thank you for playing. You may take your seat. We need someone else to No, 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 you're not done. You don't. You get another chance. Come on. I didn't say go sit down. We need another contestant. Jake, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. What is our next item up for bid this morning? We've got to wait for Jake to get here. This is a 2019 Harley-Davidson Ultra Limited Midnight Black Edition. Now, as soon as Jake gets here, we're going to let Jake go first because he was so uh, actively wanting to play this game first. Jake, what would you say this uh, uh, 2019 Harley-Davidson Ultra Limited Midnight Black Edition would sell for? Well, you've got to make a guess, my brother. This is the way the game works. You've got to give us a number. $18,999. What do you say? All right, Sherry, what do you say? You win. Because the actual price is $30,998. Now, I can't give you that, but you have your very own motorcycle to take home with you. Your husband might want to play with that. Not during church, Jerry. What is our last item up for bid? And as we look around, who is going to be the last contestant? Um, Jared Hahn, why don't you come up here, my friend? You are the next contestant on The Price is Right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, what we have here is a beautiful Huntington Wicker all-weather outdoor furniture set. Will make your backyard into a place of luxury. Jared, what do you say the cost on this outdoor furniture set is? $1,200. $1,200. How about you? What do you say? Nine ninety nine. Jake, what do you say? Eighteen fifty three and forty eight cents. All right. Well, 
That was a good guess. Um, Jared actually wins, and I couldn't afford a set, but I've got, uh, uh, you leave this outside, it'll glow, and you can stick it in the ground, you can see on your way. Thank you all for playing this morning, The Price is Right. Isn't it crazy sometimes the cost of things? I'm like, who'd give $1,500 for that? I, I certainly wouldn't. The truth is, a lot of things cost way more than we expect, right? I looked up the cost of a Super Bowl ticket in which our glorious Chiefs won. We, we just want to remind you of that in case you had forgotten. The cheap seats were not cheap. Average cost of the cheapest seats in the, this Super Bowl was $4,770. That's the cheapest seats. The expensive seats, get this, hang on to your seats, $29,000 to attend the Super Bowl. Now that was just for the seat. If you wanted a package, there were packages that would give you food before, a booth, hang out with, rub elbows with some rich people. Sixty grand for those seats. Isn't it crazy the cost? And we would look at that and say, price is not right. You got to come down a whole lot for me to go. I look back, the very first Super Bowl, you could go for 12 bucks. $12 was the tick, ticket price on the very first Super Bowl. We are all, as we look at this, we say, wow, that's just not worth it. The price is not right. Or we sometimes just vote with our actions and we don't buy that. And we, don't, and we say, no, that's, that's too much. The price is too high for me. We come to a place in Mark 8 today and Jesus is talking about the cost of being a disciple. And I think many of us along the way have said, the price is too much. The price is not right. It doesn't seem that I would have to give up. It doesn't seem that I would have to let go of. The price is just not right. All of us are in this boat to some degree. We, in our Christian lives, we say, well, you know... I'll, I'll give up sex outside of marriage, but don't ask me to stop lusting. Uh, you know, that's just too much. The cost is too high. Or, I'll, you know, I'll give up lying, but don't ask me to help the homeless. I'll, I'll give up my foul language, but don't you dare ask me to have compassion on stupid people. See, those are the ones that really need the compassion, the stupid people. That's not altogether true. And, and some of us say, well, I'll go to church, but don't ask me to serve my husband or my wife at home. That's just too much. The list can go on and on, and we could come up with things um, all day long to talk about what we kind of barter with at God. But I want us to see what's going on in our text. And I, I want you to look at your Bibles, and I want to look starting back at verse 31 in our text. And I want us to see a little bit what happens before we come to our text. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Okay. And now the next phrase, and Peter we always know that Peter was a little thick. Um, he said this plainly. 
And Peter said, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Holy cannoli, Peter had some guts to take the Son of God aside to rebuke him. But he began to rebuke him, and this is what Jesus said. Right before the text that we're getting ready to talk about today, turning and seeing his disciples. Now, I want you to see this. Peter is over here, pulled Jesus aside. Jesus, listen, this is not right. You can't say this. This is not going to happen. Jesus turns from the conversation to the rest of the disciples as if to say, just want to clue you in what Peter's doing over here. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Well, that's got to make Peter feel pretty, uh, pretty small. You've got to understand that Peter was rebuking here, and Jesus turned and included the rest of the disciples and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Letting them know that, that he was out of line. And it says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, on the things of man. And then we come to our text for today. So you've got this conversation, Peter and Jesus. Jesus turns and includes the rest of the disciples and tells them, Satan is, is using Peter right now. Get behind me, Satan. And then it says, on calling the crowd to him. So you can, you can picture this. Jesus is up here, and then, but there's this crowd out here, and he says, I want everybody. I, I, this is not enough for, for me to just say to Peter or to these apostles, all you guys, would you, please, would you please come in close where you can hear. And he called them, and he said to them, if. When someone says to you, if, you know there's going to be something that has to take place or what he's getting ready to say is not going to happen. You need to let that sink into your mind today and your heart. If. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, and this is where our notes pick up today in your bulletin, if you want to come after me, you must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. I want to handle these in reverse order. I know he says deny yourself first, but I want to look at the phrase take up your cross first. So we have to take up our cross. When we agree to take up our cross, first of all, how many of you without uh, any research at all can say, I know exactly what it means for me to take up my cross? Anyone know? a difficult thing. Some of us have a pretty good idea, and maybe, maybe it's because we've been bearing our cross. Here's one of the things I want to say that it's not. Taking up for your cross for Jesus isn't having to deal with a flat tire on the way to church. It's just not. Taking up your cross to follow Jesus doesn't have to do with fighting through and being polite to your wife that maybe isn't polite back. Taking up your cross isn't an inconvenience that has come upon you. That's not what taking up your cross to follow Jesus is. It's not saying, oh my goodness, I have to let that guy sit in this seat. I wanted to sit there, but I've been sitting there for 12 years, but he knows I've been there, but oh well, it's my cross to bear. How many of you have heard people say things like that? 
Oh, it's my cross to bear to, to deal with this person at my job. He just doesn't want to do what I ask him to do. It's my cross to bear. Oh, and we have no earthly clue what it really means to take up our cross. We have been told that by society because that's easy. It's, if, if all taking up my cross is, is dealing with the flat tire or dealing with the gripey wife or dealing with the, the, the ridiculous husband or whatever it is, that's easy. We can handle that. We say, yeah, okay, I got that. I can handle, okay, if taking up... Uh, I'll handle this inconvenience in my schedule, a flat tire, I'm going to be late for work, but God, anything for you. If that's where you're thinking, you're probably not taking up your cross. The idea of taking up your cross requires four things. And there are four things that we essentially have to agree to because this is what happened when you were put on the cross. There was official opposition to you. If you are called to take up your cross, you're, there's going to be opposition. People are not going to like you. People are going to hate you. People are going to say bad things about you. If you're not willing to accept the opposition that will come against you for following Jesus, you're not prepared to take up your cross. Someone's going to speak against you. Jesus said, that's okay. They did it to me. So we have to accept official opposition. Our world is in opposition to the way of the cross. One of the things that, one of the conference uh, uh, sessions that I went to this week um, at the preaching teaching convention was about the fact how our culture has changed and that we no longer can call ourselves a Christian nation. There was a time 30, 40 years ago when we could say with some semblance of truth that America was a Christian nation. But the reality is, in the last several years, things have changed. He explained it like this. He said that there's, there's kind of four parts. And he said, in the early days, 20 years ago, there was a separation between those who absolutely said, I have nothing to do with God. And then that was 25% of our population. And then there were 75% of our population. And this group said, well, yeah, uh, if, it, if it benefits me, I'm, I'm part of the Christian movement. If it can help me get elected, yeah, I'm a churchgoer. Uh, if it will help me uh, figure out, you know, how I can make my life better, because, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll associate myself with Christians. And then there was a group of people who said, um, you know, I, I really, uh, I, I want to be more than that. I'm, I'm willing to go to church occasionally. I'm willing to uh, say I belong to such and such church. I'm willing to say, yeah, my family was Christian, I'm Christian. And he said then there was only the 25% who were actually people who were wanting to follow Christ. Those people who said, God's made a difference in my life, I'm going to live in such a way that I honor him. So that was how the balance was. But the, the swing of everything was down here. And the biggest percentage of our country said, yeah, we're, we're Christian. He said what's actually happened now is these two categories that had kind of bent toward Christian have now bent toward secular. And the reality is for the first time in our life we have the potential for a, a presidential candidate who says, I'm an atheist. The first time in the history of our country there is a man who could be running for president 
that says, I have nothing to do with church. I don't care about the church. Our culture has changed. And no longer can we say that America is a Christian country because it's switched and now it's 75%. Do you know what the largest growing category, when they ask questions, are you, are you uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever? You know the biggest growing uh, category is none. The largest category of people in America when asked, what is your faith connection? The largest big part of the population says none. Culture has changed, people. And yes, we live out in the country, but you know what? We live in the world, and we've got to make sure that we get this because in the world, we are going to have opposition. This guy that's claiming that he's an atheist, if he gets into power, there are going to be some oppositions to Christianity because he's definitely anti-life, pro-life. He, he, he is going to push um, agendas that actually are going to be damaging Christianity. That's the culture we live in. And if you're going to take up your cross, you're going to have to recognize I stand in opposition to that and I may face opposition in my life. It's closer than you think. Culture, more than ever, opposes Christianity today. There will be shame if you say, I'll take up my cross. You're going to have to deal with some shame. You're not going to be able to stand and maybe take pride in what you once took pride in. There will be some shame that comes along with taking up your cross. The cross in that day and time was a shameful way to die. You know, the cross, and I think there's, there's some reason why Jesus used take up your cross. The cross was the most abusive form of, of death in that day and time. It was the worst thing they could think of. They couldn't think of anything worse. So the cross was the ultimate. If you were crucified, you were the worst of the criminals, you were the worst of the worst, and it was a shameful way to die. Everybody knew that if you were on the cross, you were in the worst possible category of human beings. Don't be ashamed in your following. Don't be ashamed. The third thing is that we'll suffer. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says this. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should only believe in him but also not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have to follow Jesus is to suffer you may have to give up some things that you like and that may be suffering to you you may suffer beyond that people mocked him spit, at, spit on him and um the fact is, Jesus, Paul says, you can expect to suffer as someone who's taken up his cross. People will make fun of you. You may have to endure hardship. You may not have everything you always wanted to obtain. There will be suffering. The fourth thing that comes along with taking up your cross is death. Jesus died for his commitment to the mission. You might have to. Maybe the death is not physical. But maybe there's some spiritual death that needs to happen. I loved what Jared said in his, uh, in his meditation that there's some things that we need to examine about taking out of our life. Thinking maybe we ought to start a, uh, a Mr. Rogers movement to, to live like that. 
there are things that you must die to. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. The second main point that I want to get across this morning, and I want to kind of go back to that first thing that he mentioned in the text, deny yourself. To deny yourself is something that we don't like to do. How many of you like to watch, if you just have a certain TV show you like to watch, raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Don't lie to me right here in church. How many of you will be honest and say, if someone interrupts your schedule and you don't get to watch that show, you get upset? Thank you for being honest. Several of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a young man who was alive and a preacher in the days of Adolf Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a spiritual Christian church leader. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was also on the front lines in trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He said that to follow Christ is to accept the invitation to come and die. A lot of people don't want to hear that. Wait, I don't want to follow. I, I, just, I just want to come do the, I'll come to church part of following Jesus. I just want to do the, well, yeah, I'll, I'll buy somebody's, you know, latte that's in line behind me just because I want to show them that I'm a good person. I want, I want to follow Jesus like that. It's a little dicey when he says the call is to come and die. It's not about being inconvenienced anymore. It's about saying, I don't matter. You do. I don't matter, but you do. I don't matter, but you do. I don't matter, but you do. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. We have to say no to ourselves. To deny is to completely disown. Completely disown. We talked last week about the, the father and the son who came. Reality was he should have completely disowned him. That isn't our God. But for us to, to actually deny ourselves is to completely disown. Say, I no longer matter. Any of you have difficulty with that? I do. We all do. The biggest sin probably that all of us face is the sin of pride. And pride says, I need to get what I want. I deserve it. Every, the commercials tell me, I deserve a break today. You know, so good up and get away to McDonald's. Uh, that's probably not a good example. To deny is to stop listening to my own voice. I don't have all the answers, and for me to come up with the answers that will make my life go better, we at times need to stop listening to our own voice. Satan, I think, manipulates us to where a lot of times his voice gets intermingled with our voice. And we need to stop listening to our own voice. We need to stop leaning on our own power. I remember my child growing up, two or three years old, struggling, was not going to accomplish what he was trying to do, offered help. I can do it myself. There's a whole bunch of us that have say that same thing. Oh, I, no. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I notice you're struggling. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I can do it myself. 
we need to recognize that denying ourselves is stop leaning on my own power. I may need help. And I may need to rely on someone else. To deny is to stop fulfilling my own wishes. Do you realize that everything you want, you don't have to have? I don't know if you all knew that. But our society tells us everything you want, you have to have. You deserve it. You need that better TV, that better car, that better truck. You need that ski boat because, oh my gosh. And Satan's like, can you imagine how much fellowship you could create with a new ski boat? You need that. The reality is most of what we think we need, we don't need. We don't need. To deny yourself is to say, I'm going to stop trying to fulfill my own wishes. To deny, when we deny materialism is done away with. It's no longer about keeping up with the Joneses. It's no longer about making sure my house is as good as this house. It's no longer about making sure I have the right clothes on. It's no longer about materialism and what I can attain. We think that this is a race and it's a competition that at the end, whoever has the most wins. Let me tell you, that's a lie of the devil. It's not who has the most who wins. Jesus says it's the one who's willing to deny himself is the one that wins. We need to come to the point where others' needs are more important than ours, which is an attitude of humility, where I say it's more important that you have what you need than I have what I need. Or it's more important even that you have what you want than what I need. I have to deny myself. It's a matter of giving up our personal freedom. A lot of times we don't want to help people or we want to do for others because it, it impinges on our time. Listen, I'm a free person. I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. If I have to, if I have to do this for somebody, I might not to get to go do what I want to do. Denying yourself is saying that others are more important. The third point that Jesus makes in our text is, first of all, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. And he says, follow me. I want you to notice, it's interesting in the text. I want to go back to that verse, verse 34, the last half of that. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The, the words, if anyone would come after me, is really, if you're going to follow me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's like, if, if you're going to be following, if you're going to come after me, there's a, those two phrases really mean the same thing. That it's all about denying oneself and taking up our cross. To follow Jesus is to turn your back on all other things. That's where we have a hard time, I think. It's like, I still want to read the trashy books that I read. Do I have to give up the trashy books? I'm not even going to answer that. I still want to sleep with the woman that I think I'm going to marry because, well, how do I know if I don't try it out? We have to be willing to surrender 
and turn our back on everything else to follow. Matthew 13, verse 45 and 46 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value sells everything he has and gives all to purchase the pearl of great value. And I want to propose to you today that following Jesus is the pearl of great value. It is what we should focus our entire life on. Everything should be bound up in my choice to, to, to gain at all cost what I can gain from following Jesus. So many of us are wrapped up in our society as programmed to tell us that, that we have to look out for ourselves. No one's going to look out for you. God's going to look out for you. You can trust Him. And He promises that He'll give us everything we need. He says, look at the sparrows. Look at the, the flowers. I'll, I'll take care of you. Those flowers, I mean, He said to me a lot of times, Kevin, those flowers are way better looking than you are. And, and I, I did that. And those birds, they eat every day. You look at a sparrow and say, sparrow, give me the BB gun. And God says, I feed those sparrows. I take care of every one of them. A lot of people have come forward in their lives and were baptized. But they never followed Jesus. It's, one, it's a good thing. You, 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 the, the journey starts at coming and saying, I'm a sinner. I, I've done things wrong. I, I'm convicted by that. I, I want to change that in my life. I want to turn around. I want to walk the other way. It's great to do that. And it's great to come to him and say, listen, I want to surrender my life to you. And I want to be baptized into Christ. But if that's where it ends, all you've done was accept the invitation. You didn't make the choice to follow. And it's two different things. Love, love for you to accept the invitation. If you've never accepted the invitation, I'm going to ask you to accept that today because it's a great life. But the truth is, we've got to turn away from our old way of life. First, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I have to tell you, people, I drug around a dead guy for a lot of years. I came to Christ when I was young, and I said, yes, I, I need Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to follow him. But you know what? I drug a dead guy around behind me for almost 45 years. He stunk. He was that old man that I was. If you're dragging around a dead guy, it's time to say, listen, I want to follow him. If you're dragging around that old you, you say, I just can't get over those old habits that I had. I can't break them. It's because you're still dragging around the dead guy. You haven't accepted the fact that God said, you're new now. Live in the newness of who you are. Not in the old guy who you've been dragging around. Today's an opportunity for you to say, it's me. I've been dragging around the dead guy. I need to cut him loose. I want to invite you to come and cut him loose right here and say no more. I want to follow Jesus. I want to, to give everything up. It's kind of interesting what he says 
And we're, we're about done here, but I just want you to see in verse 35 through 38, four times he uses the word for. When you hear the word for, you say, well, what's, what's that for? There's four fours. The first thing he says, in following up, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following me, this has to do with if you're going to be the one that follows me, for who would ever save his life? Whoever saves his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's the first four. Whoever saves his own life. In other words, whoever looks out for himself, whoever says, I'm going to put me above everyone else, whoever says that, he will save his life, but he will lose it. Because that's not what living for God is all about in our world. The second four. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So you're living that first way. And you're doing everything you can to make sure you live life. And you have a boat. And you have a camper. And you have all the things that make people jealous of you. It's not going to save you. You will find yourself at the end of life gaining the world and losing your soul. The third four. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Is there any way we can buy God off? We can't, we can't give him anything that will say, okay, I need you to save my soul, except to deny ourselves and take up our cross. The fourth four. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about when God returns in his glory. I don't want to be ashamed in that day. If you're ashamed of him and you're not willing to live for him, just know, and this is not me. I'm not, I'm not being hard-nosed. This is Jesus himself said this. You're going to be ashamed of me? You're not willing to stand up for me. You're not willing to speak of me to people that are around you. Just know, just know that in that day, I will be ashamed of you. You see, we get this mentality that, you know, we all want to be, we want to be Christians because that's being a good person and that's doing things. And, and it's like, well, come and, and feed me. And people go to churches like, well, I ought to go to a different church. That preacher's not feeding me like I ought to be fed. And instead, God says, I want you to come and die to you. I want you to make others more important than yourself. This morning, our worship team is going to come back, and they're going to um, lead us in an invitation song. And I, I want you to know that every one of you here has the next step that you need to take. There is not a one of us. I don't care if you're as old as Jack. Or, I don't know if you're the oldest. But if you're as young as one, one of the little kids, we all have a next step that we have to take. And God expects us to step up and step into him. This morning, your next step may be to say, man, I've been carrying around the dead man. Time to cut him loose. Maybe your next step today is to say, I, I don't, I've never experienced this life with Jesus. I've never received forgiveness for my sins. I don't know how to do it on my own then maybe your next step is to accept him and say, listen, I want to live for that for the rest of my life.
Every one of us will make a decision here this morning, one way or another. They're, we're either going to decide, and you don't have to come down to make a decision. Maybe you need to. But you'll decide, I'm either going to continue on like I've been, or I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to begin looking at my life and saying, I don't know what I need to get rid of, but I need to examine it. It's, it's, it's not just okay to just come to church and show up, be nice to the preacher. That, that's not, it's not enough. God wants you to live for Him. So as we sing this song, would you stand with me? And if you need to make a decision, would you please do that? We're going to be here.